next crystal ball thing that I'm standing behind is that as we navigate out of this into next year, I think we will see a wave of very pro-cannabis legislation simply because the experiment's over. If you want to generate tax revenue, legalize marijuana. We're going to have to find new ways to subsidize the stimulus packages that have been put out. And I think we won't have the debate around the, the soft issues. It will literally be an economic decision. I think we'll see a lot of benefit from that on the legislative side. From MJ Bulls Media, it's the Raising Cannabis Capital Show. Today on Raising Cannabis Capital, we are continuing this year's Cannabis Investor Series with another former guest, Ross O'Brien, the founder of Bonaventure Equity. Ross, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Dan. Good to talk to you again. We had so much positive feedback after your last appearance. People were just really impressed with your ecosystem that you designed to help finance entrepreneurship beyond just investing. You also engage or you did engage through your deal-making summits, and you also informed through your book, Cannabis Capital. I want to touch on everything, but with so much new stuff to talk about, I want to encourage our listeners to go back and listen to or re-listen to episode 208 to get caught up because I want to just jump right into it today. And Ross, let's just start right off with your portfolio companies. COVID hit everything. How are your portfolio companies doing? Yeah, great question, Dan. And thanks again for having us back. And thanks a lot for reiterating you know, what we're building. I believe strongly in the ecosystem that we're building with Invest, Engage, Inform. And I'm glad that that's resonating. It's a symptom of years of working with entrepreneurs and investing in private companies. And they require more than just capital. And, and this is a, a time when that really gets put to the test. The world changed dramatically, obviously, and I hope all your listeners are healthy and in good spirits and everybody's doing well. But it's been challenging across the board for everyone. And the one thing that we knew we had to do right away was make some quick, decisive decisions, both for our business as well as the businesses that we've invested in. And we really doubled and tripled down in a lot of instances where we had Zoom calls, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, my time, and just hearing from the entrepreneurs saying, look, nobody has answers, but a lot of people aren't answering the phone. And we showed up and, and we made sure that we were there available 24 seven to be a sounding board, a thinking partner. And we didn't pretend to have all the answers, but Having that kind of communication and going beyond just numbers, it's not just a money conversation anymore. It's a people conversation. It's a safety conversation. It's a business continuity conversation. Those are tough conversations to have, but the sooner we jumped into those discussions, the more effective. And I'm proud to say that every company that we're involved with has navigated successfully and turned corners successfully and are continuing to build some really great things. The one fallout obviously was our dealmaker summits, we just had to put that on hold for now. And unfortunately, that required some tough conversations as well. I keep saying the word conversation, but it's yeah. really about just having those discussions. And we just had to move quickly and we did things in as gentle a way as possible for the human aspect. And I think that's allowed us to really focus on what our core competencies are. At the end of the day, Dan, I think across the board, this pandemic has been an accelerator for a lot of things. Um, I use the example of Sears, right? We all knew that Sears was going bankrupt. It just went bankrupt faster, right? And we knew the world was moving towards telemedicine, but telemedicine just happened faster. And once people adapted to that, we had so much success of just stacking Zoom calls and raising money and put more capital to work. 
So once we made that transition, the companies benefited and so did we. I think it's encouraging. Not just the companies had to make adjustments due to COVID, but the investors and the venture capitalists. You had tough choices to make if you had to cancel the deal-making summit. That was probably not an easy decision. It was really difficult. It's something we believed in, had a lot of passion for and enjoyed doing and got a lot of value from, but it was not a good business decision. And so once you accept the realities of it, then, okay, this is the new paradigm. That's the new constraints, the new box we have to operate in. How do we make that work? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. You have a background working with family offices and a lot of our listeners are investors. Mm -hmm. Why is now the right time to invest in privately held cannabis companies? I'm glad you asked that question, Dan. We are as bullish, if not more bullish than ever on the cannabis investment thesis. And if you remember back in October and through the end of the year last year, we were all talking about the public markets cratering. And that was a big crisis. And at the end of the day, very few companies succeed. So there is a certain bit of, okay, let's see who are the most resilient, the most resourceful, and the most committed entrepreneurs. They're the ones who are still around. And those are the entrepreneurs that we've put invested behind during this period. Look, every investor has to pretend to have a crystal ball. I wasn't the only person to predict the public markets. It just happened sooner, right? But I think the next crystal ball thing that I'm standing behind is that as we navigate out of this into next year, I think we will see a wave of very pro-cannabis legislation simply because the experiment's over. If you want to generate tax revenue, legalize marijuana. And we're going to have to find new ways to subsidize the stimulus packages that have been put out. And I think we won't have the debate around the, the soft issues. It will literally be an economic decision. I think we'll see a lot of benefit from that on the legislative side. Man, if we hear about the God's ear, I hope you're right with that one. That's for sure. The valuations on private companies, mm-hmm. we're hearing that they're flat right now or down which seems like that would be a really good opportunity, especially with what you just said about the projection in the future. Right now seems like the time to make these investments. No question. And that's why I said we're doubling and tripling down in the sense that the valuation expectations by entrepreneurs are coming back down to earth. I think they were artificially inflated because of these premature IPOs and just the green rush, which I vehemently disagree with the Klondike mentality of rushing into things. We looked at over 400 companies and waited over a year before we made our first investment. And during that time, a lot happened, a lot changed, but this is patient capital. And we're also seeing a lot of the investors that were perhaps inexperienced investors coming into this space that hadn't been in venture before or haven't built companies before. They're not around either. So I think what we're finding is there's a resetting of the professionals and valuation is always negotiated. Entrepreneurs and investors are always at opposing ends until you consummate a transaction. And in private companies, there's no explicit market. They're negotiated. And I think now we're having different negotiations. It doesn't necessarily mean that entrepreneurs are getting beat up over the valuations. They're just more realistic in alignment with private companies in other sectors. And it really shouldn't be that different. There's got to be a structure that's mutually beneficial to both parties. And it's just so much easier to have those conversations now. I'm deeply concerned for the entrepreneurs because there are fewer and fewer sources of capital. So I'm hoping that there will be you know, more private investors and hopefully more funds will commit to the space. But that disconnection in the market will always keep pressure on the entrepreneur to be realistic about valuation. Yeah, I think it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of entrepreneurs who saw really high valuations as early as a year ago to now say, whoa, 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 why are my valuations so much lower today? It's a hard pill to swallow, but like you said, it's probably a little bit more realistic, the valuations today than they were even going back a year. So we don't invest in public markets, but we watch it, right? It's a barometer. 
if we could no longer correlate the value of the company to the stock price, right? We couldn't correlate good operations, profitability. We just couldn't see the fundamentals that equated to the investor exuberance around some of these companies. Now, the silver lining in this is that the experiments over investors, and in particular retail investors, the smaller private investors that invest in public securities, they believe that cannabis is going to be part of our communities for the long term. And I think that shift will have long-term benefit where the near-term pain is, is I think People believe their own bullshit. I can say that on your, on your podcast. And all of a sudden, I, you know, just because I have a business plan and it's a big growing market, I think I'm a unicorn. And Dan, for me personally, we are not interested in unicorns. I, I don't think that's a sensible approach for investors. And I don't think it's a sensible strategy for an entrepreneur. What we're looking for are great companies that are quietly going to get to 100, 200, 300 million in revenue. And we're happy to do that all day long. And those entrepreneurs tend to be more realistic about what the key value drivers are, right? I mean, I'm pretty simple about valuation. Do you have profits? Yes, no. Are those profits growing? Yes, no. Do you have revenues? Yes, no. Are those revenues growing? Do you have a team in place? Do you have intellectual property? Do you have some unfair advantage where customers are pulled to your company, a pull demand as opposed to push demand. I mean, those things get pretty simple. And if it's a star business that's in a large market that can grab large market share, we don't need to go chasing fantasy dream IPOs. It can be a very, very successful business with the right partners in place. One last question that I had for you, follow up from last year. You said that this isn't an industry and I love this and I, I hate to leave without you giving an opportunity to tell people why this is not an industry. So thanks, Dan. And that's something that we developed and became a concept that matured in the process of writing the book, Cannabis Capital, the first book on venture capital for cannabis on Entrepreneur Press. I'm pleased to, to say since it came out in January, it's doing very, very well. So that's exciting. But one of the things we looked at was there's a real challenge I find in cannabis when we pigeonhole this as an industry, because you put a wedge between investors and operators and legacy advocacy versus new entrepreneurs in the space. And you put that wedge in place simply by, it gives an easy out for everyone to say, oh, you don't understand this. It's cannabis. It's an industry. Yeah. Or for investors that come from other sectors to say, oh, it's the cannabis industry. They don't understand business. And we just wanted to take that off the table because you're if you're having that conversation as an investor and entrepreneur, you're not having the right conversation. Right. And so we looked at it and said, wait a minute, this isn't an industry. This is an economy. So we coined and defined the cannabis economy as a global trend. It's not a a phase. It's not a fad. It's a trend. It's global and it's macro. And then within that, you have subsectors and sub industries that are developing, some new, some legacy. And I always challenge everybody we talk to, Dan, and when we have this concept to say, name any industry, any industry, and no one has been able to name one that will not be otherwise impacted by the legalization of cannabis. Everything. Yeah. So it occurred to us this is an economy and this is global. And then the pieces within that are developing, have nuance to it. And it informed our investment thesis. I, mean, I love that. I love that. I think that's great because like you said, it rolls into the world of hemp. It rolls into medicine. It rolls into sure. every single thing you're right. And if people want to learn more about Bonaventure Equity or, or talk to Ross directly, I'll have the links to their company in the show notes. So you can just continue this conversation offline with Ross. Always great to catch up with you. Thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, Dan, thanks for doing what you're doing. I love your programs and you're just bringing really great conversations into the light and it's important. So we're huge supporters of what you're doing and 
always happy to talk with you. And like you said, if anybody does want to reach out directly, my email's on the website. So you know how to find me and I'm happy to have a conversation. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.